This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome to a full week of fire related episodes. I hope everybody who celebrates Christmas had a fantastic one. I hope no matter who you are, that you're having a great holiday season. And I hope especially that the men and women in our armed forces are having a great holiday season. On behalf of Navy Federal Credit Union and the people making the Stack and Benjamin show right here, let's give a big shout out to our armed forces and go stack some Benjamins together. Happy Monday, stackers. Happy post-Christmas Monday. Oh, gee, did you and your family have a nice Christmas? It was fantastic and and the christmas keeps on giving i get to do something really fun today i am uh, flying to austin for a business meeting <laughs> living the dream and yeah, then and then coming know. to texarkana tomorrow and then uh, headed to you headed your way tomorrow yeah, yeah yeah crazy we are super excited though we are bringing all of you a week of financial independence retire early and last wednesday clark howard said yeah you know how that fire movement kind of uh, went into oblivion <laughs> And when he when he said that, he didn't mean that people aren't retiring early and people aren't aren't crazy about it. It just isn't the major media house is no longer talking about it like they were before. Um, we'd like to relight that fire. Get it? Relight oh, the fire. Oh, I see what you did there. Yes. It's cute. Uh, by starting off, kicking off our week of fire episodes with a gentleman who it's funny he doesn't post a ton of podcasts and yet his podcast is always rated in one of the top podcasts in the business category. And it's our friend, Brandon, the mad scientist. Brandon is a guy that worked in the United States, decided, you know what? Don't want to do this anymore. Well, you know what? We're going to let him tell his story. Cause I think it's a great, it's a great message. OG to people that, that think, well, this is beyond me. I don't get this whole retirement thing. Yeah. Horizon. Yes. Think differently. And we had a fantastic discussion with him back in 2017. Uh, Plus, 
We also talk about the cost of wine back then and how much that gets affected by advertising. That was also fun. News, by the way, also about back then of football players, big comeback from a disability. And we rarely get a chance to talk about the importance of disability insurance. And that hasn't changed since 2017. Sure. So partly a nice walk down memory lane, partly a good introduction to this week of fire episodes, financial independence, retire early, but the you and me and the mad scientist. So here we go, peeps. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Fireworks, hot dogs, burgers, and beers. It's Independence Day. What's your favorite part of the 4th of July holiday? The family? The friends? Mine's getting burned by those thousand degree sparklers that Joe's mom insists we wave around at 11 at night in the driveway. I mean, what's better than a little flaming magnesium on the tip of your fingertip? Ouch, 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 hot, 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 hot. Oh, man, that's hot. But between getting burned and stuffing my face, I'll introduce our amazing guest today. Please welcome from the Mad Scientist podcast, Well, you know how this goes by now. It's the Mad Fientist. We'll also have a healthy dose of headlines, a Haven Lifeline, your letters, and my independent trivia segment. Now, here's two guys who think you gotta go to Italy to get a Roman candle, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J. I don't even care about the Roman candle. I'm just going to Italy, man. Of course you are. Every chance I get. Yep. yep. France, Italy, Southeast Asia. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We are back. Had a fantastic week off. I am Joe Saul Seahigh, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across this card table from me, I think we don't get a card table. Listen to this. That's the card table. You can hear it rattling. It's uh, it is Ricky. other guy, or as we call him, OG. Welcome back, dude. Did you have a nice weekend? I had a whole great week away. I had a great weekend, great week away. I still have all my fingers. Of course, 4th of July is tomorrow, so I might lose one or two, but yeah. it's going to be great. How There's about always you? a chance. Fantastic. Just a fun drive across our great country. Happy Independence Day holiday. Nobody's working today, right? I mean, with 4th of July being a Tuesday, everybody's been off since probably half day Friday. You have all of our listeners who listen to this while they're working on the holiday. Peed off. Cursing at their their listening device. We're invested in your independence today because you know what? We're going to have the mad scientist Brandon on. He's talking about independence to do whatever the heck you want. You very familiar with this fire movement, OG? Financial independence, retire early? Oh, I thought we were talking about a different kind of fire. Well, <laughs> lots of Me fire. Me make fire. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, 4th of July, we're totally all about fire. <laughs> Anything that can burn or explode is uh, fair game. Burn, explode, retire early. It's all here. It's all, it's all fair game. So let's get to the headlines. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Got a couple of holiday-ish headlines, OG. Ho, ho, ho. 
How many people do you oh, think are out there? No, this is a different holiday. It is almost Christmas in July. It, it almost is. At least Christmas in July sales yes. at every single store that is trying to figure out a way to like, Please come back to our store. For God's sake, we need to sell something. What are we going to do? Oh, I got a great idea. Christmas is like the best time to sell stuff. Uh huh. We should have Christmas more often. Like in July. What if we did that? I bet that'll bring him in. How about this? If it's a wine store, people are there today, I'll bet. Yeah, you got to stock up. Got to stock up. A lot of beer, wine, and spirits. This comes to us from Money-ish. It says, you'll spend more on wine if the label tells you to. This is written by Nicole Impesh. Research shows well-written descriptions make customers pay more for a bottle. And not only do they pay more, they like the taste better. A consumer study at the University of Adelaide School of Agriculture, Food and Wine reveals that a well-written label can make us like the taste of wine better and even pay 37% more for it. Well, they say it's supposed to be better, so... Packaging totally is everything, isn't it? Of course it, it is. It totally is everything. You ever read the... I mean, uh, look at this package. Yeah, yeah. It's don't, the whole... Don't do that. Don't rub your chest. It's the whole package. Oh, that's so... It's everything. Oh. It's, it and gets, this can be yours. It gets so uncomfortable. For free. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to write a great description. Has anybody ever told you you're easy? On the eyes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like Sunday morning. But packaging is everything. Have you ever heard the story of Jay Peterman? By the way, Jay Peterman has come back. Jay Peterman went bankrupt after the Seinfeld stuff. They went the wrong way. It's a great story. I have no idea what you're talking People about. People have to look it up. You don't know the Jay Peterman catalog? Did you ever watch Seinfeld and Elaine worked for Jay Peterman? I watched Seinfeld occasionally. Well, anyway, there's this brand, Jay Peterman. Everything in the catalog and the, even their online emails is all this whimsical. It's the 1930s and he's flying in a plane and he's got the, you know, the wind is going through his hair as he goes lion hunting, you know, whatever. And it's all this crazy stuff but the packaging i found myself reading this crap right mm-hmm. i'm like oh that maybe i do need this jacket because <laughs> because if i'm in this jacket I'm, I'm going lion hunting yeah i mean not that i like lion hunting i don't you never know yeah I, I've, I've never tried it right more than a hundred regular white wine drinkers did a blind taste of a chardonnay a riesling and a sauvignon blanc a week later do you like that a week later, they were given the same three wines in bottles with a very basic sensory description of the wines. For example, the mouth-filling, golden-colored Chardonnay displays aromas and flavors of honey-dried apricots, vanilla, butterscotch, and oak, all prominent in a long finish. They then unknowingly sipped the same three wines again, but this time they were poured from bottles printed with more elaborate information, like the wine's history and flowery language, highlighting the quality of the wine. Same stuff as the J. Peterman catalog. For example... The satisfying velvety creaminess of this wine lingers in the mouth. And the more information the wine drinkers were given about the vino, the more they loved it. There was a wine. I'm going to use that line. <laughs> Never mind. I was <laughs> satisfying velvety creaminess. Is that you? You are easy, aren't you? <laughs> it lingers. I went to my sister's house recently, and there's a wine shop near where she lives in Cleveland. And this bottle of wine, I totally bought it because of the because of the label. I fell into this. So I pick it up. It's got this cool cat on the front. And it's a black label with a with a with a um, cat. With a cat. <laughs> that was tough. <laughs> and you turn it around to the back and it says, Is something about you're having a party and there's all the people at the party that 
that they put their wine in a solo cup and they they drink that because they just don't care and they're just at the party. This wine isn't for those people. This wine you hide behind. Get this. You hide this wine behind the espresso machine, right? As if I have an espresso machine. You hide this behind the espresso machine and you bring it out for your friends with discerning taste. And I'm, I remember this reading this article. I remember this clearly. Like I'm standing there. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the wine I would hide. And I totally say, hey, OG. But that's total bullcrap because you is the totally drink out of a solo cup. I totally do. <laughs> but but I drink discerning wines yeah, but you, you have out discerning of a solo taste. cup. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get caught by the packaging, I think is the, yeah. yeah. I mean, we fall for the packaging so often. Actually, you know what? The packaging's fine if it's important to you. But I find that when I was helping people with their budget, many people fell for the packaging in areas of their life that they really didn't care about. So they were overspending in areas that were irrelevant to what they and then saying but i'm going to stop spending on lattes because the latte factor says that i'll be a millionaire if i don't buy latte so i'm going to stop buying lattes but she didn't buy a latte to begin with <laughs> like 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 doug would say i gotta start drinking lattes so i can stop drinking <laughs> lattes exactly and save just a ton of money yep yeah good stuff there don't fall for the packaging second uh headline today comes to us from the new york daily news Jason Pierre-Paul, $62 million deal from the Giants, complete a remarkable career turnaround after fireworks accident. So what's this deal with, speaking of 4th of July, what's this deal with a, with a firework accident and uh, Jason Pierre-Paul? Don't play with fireworks. It's the lesson here. So two years ago, you may remember he had this fireworks accident where I think he lost two and a half fingers. Something like that. It says he has seven and a half fingers now. Yeah, so that uh, if my math brain is on today, that leaves two and a half that uh, went bye-bye. But the big news out of that, of course, you know, was that nobody else got hurt. But he lost a $60 million contract. Like, the Giants said, we're going to avoid your contract. We'll, We'll let you play for the league minimum and see how it goes. Now... The good news is is that he recovered well and played his face off, you know, the last uh, the last year. So he was able to kind of get that money back. But um, but this illustrates the importance of uh, protection, right? Making sure that you protect your ability to earn an income. Yeah, the disability thing is something that when I was a financial planner, clients never wanted to talk about, yeah. and it is for me the most. Ex- and it's weird stuff like this. It it's, is. It's just like, oh yeah, I was screwing around. And I blew off half my hand. My friend at uh, Channel 7 in Detroit, Dave Rexroth, people in Detroit know Dave. Dave's son had a firework accident, took out Dave's eye. Yeah. And so Dave had a had a heck of a time getting back. And, and the hard thing, working with people in television, you lose your eye in television. And Dave, you know, had a great comeback. But, I mean, they try to say it's not about how you look. It's totally it's about totally how exactly look. how you look. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember I remember somebody telling me how lucky I was because the news director didn't like guys who were balding. And uh, for those of you that have seen me before, I am clearly balding. And they're like, wow, she must like you a lot because she never has guys on that are balding. Like if that has anything to do with finance, right? It has nothing to do with it. Hmm. And uh, well, if you can't keep track of your own hair, how but, are you going to keep track think, of other people's money? That's true. I think <laughs> you lost all that hair. Where did that go? Seven and a half fingers, though. I mean, the, 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 those two and a half fingers protecting that ball while you're running down the field. Those well, are, he's on defense, but those could be some. But uh, important, but nevertheless, uh, important fingers, right? What's important in a disability contract? 
I think the two things that are the most important are own occupation benefits, right? So you make sure that you're insured for your specific job and making sure that it has inflation on it and some inflation protection. Because if you lose your income today and you're planning on working the next 25 years, why you got to have that income to keep up with the rising costs over those years. So yeah, those are the top two. Yeah. The infl- and as much as you can. I mean, getting as much as you can. And it sounds like a little bit of a salesy pitch, but you're not going to be able to fully protect 100% of your income. Otherwise, you know, everybody would be disabled and, uh, you know, we'd have that. But as much as you can cover, you should. You know, I I really um, like this idea of inflation protection for one reason. I want to think about this one time. I don't want to think about disability insurance a lot. I don't want to think about any insurance a lot. And yeah. if I put an inflation protection on it, I know that even though I'm not thinking about it, it's keeping up with me. Right. Right. So I'm automating the decision so that five years from now, I'm not like, oh, crap. Uh, is that yeah. enough? Yeah. It's, you know, and it might not be enough. I might need to reevaluate it. But if I don't, at least it's headed in the right direction. Correct. Yeah, good stuff. So lesson number one, I think, is uh, before the 4th of July, you got, what, 24 hours if you're listening to this on time. Get your insurance apps in, everybody. Before you before you light that Roman candle, go get that done. And then number two is uh, buying the packaging on the wine. Just go for the box. Box wine is delicious. Especially if it says flowery language on the side. Yes. Then it's super delicious. Maybe 37% more delicious. So excited about this guest coming down to the basement. Brandon is the mad scientist. And for people that wonder what scientist means, it's FI for financial independence. Intist. Intist. It's so difficult. You can tell we're just back from break. Uh, where do I go with that? Uh, uh, Brandon's had a phenomenal uh, run, not just as a podcaster and also as a blogger, but he also has done something that I'm sure he'll talk about in his story which is he's one of these people that retired really, really early. And not to retire, just to be able to do whatever the heck he wants to. And I know that a lot of us say, man, if I could just do those things I wanted to do and spend a lot less time doing the stuff I don't want to do, Brandon's a guy who's lived that. And he's going to talk about the fire movement and getting independent on Independence Day. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Let's say hello to Brandon the Mad Fientist coming down to the basement. And coming down to the card table, Brandon, have a seat, man. How are you? Good, dude. How you been? Well, fantastic. But you know, whenever I see you, I'm always surprised because I expect you to have that lab coat on and the mad (laughs) glasses. Where are those? Yeah, no, I leave them at home. It's uh, it's only when I get down to business. So yeah, I'm uh, nice and casual today. Well, let's get down to business, and well, you and I are casual anyway. But let's 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 get down to business as much as we can. You know, there's there's two ways I've always seen people come at financial independence, either through frustration, right? They're sick of what they're doing, and they want to find a way out, and that's their ticket. Or it's aspirational, right? They kind of like what they're doing, but they're like, man, if I can say screw it tomorrow, that's that's really what I want in my life. Which one of those was it for you? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. Like I loved my job. I was a software developer and I really like writing code and that was great. I think for me, it was just like the 
daily grind of dealing with bosses and commute that, you know, everybody hates, you know, that was part of it. But also I just felt like I wanted to be doing more with my life. Like, you know, the, the applications that I was writing were usually just like someone's pet project that they wanted us to work on and stuff. And it wasn't like, it wasn't making a big impact. So I think the aspirational part was more of a driver for me because it, it was never about not working. Like that just doesn't appeal to me at all. Like just sitting around doing nothing and having hundred percent leisure time. It was, it was more, I, I just wanted to pick and choose what I worked on and I'm a bit of a control freak, I think. So I wanted to have full control over, you know, the projects that I worked on and what I chose to do. How old were you when all of a sudden you got this idea that aggressively pursuing financial independence was for you? Oh, geez. So that was probably late 20s. Um, I stumbled upon Get Rich Slowly was my first blog I ever read. And I think at some point, JD, I think it was maybe a 2010, 2011-ish, JD did a book review on Early Retirement Extreme. And that just completely yeah, changed my life. Like I'd always been frugal up until that point. I always liked having money when I was a kid. I just couldn't wait to have a portfolio to manage and I wanted to be rich one day and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it wasn't because I wanted to buy like a big fancy house or a fancy fast car or anything like that. It was just, I just wanted to have money to manage. So, um, so yeah, once I read, started reading early retirement extreme.com and realized that, Hey, I could actually use all the money that I've been saving to buy my freedom. Then that's when it sort of went into overdrive. And, and yeah, that was probably sometime in my late twenties. Was that helpful for you, the idea of of pack hunting versus, you know, at first thinking you might be the only person with this goal? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just seeing people that had done it. And that was the whole reason I started the blog as well. Like I wanted to talk to people that had done it. So I'd started the blog in early 2012 and I started the Financial Independence Podcast at the same time. And, and the whole reason I started that was because I was like, well, I want to talk to all these people that have already done it and figure out, you know, how they did it and sort of learn the tips and tricks from them so that I could do it quicker because by then I was like, you know, on fire and I was like, I just want to get there. So as soon as possible. So I was like trying to find any way to make that journey to financial independence shorter. You said earlier that you wanted to do more. And when I was a financial planner, people would say that to me, Brandon, and I would then push them on that. What, what more actually meant. And it was really a struggle for people to define more. What is more for you? Are you saying do more as far as like pursue financial independence? Yeah, you said, you said that, you know, you were working at your job and you were writing these programs, but you really wanted to do more. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I just didn't feel like I was making any sort of difference. So I wanted to have time to like pursue more creative projects. And as a software developer, like I was always writing code for myself, like web apps and I was doing mobile apps and things like that. Um, and I wanted to do more of that because... I thought that those things were like really good ideas. And if I had a lot more time to pursue them, then they could potentially take off and then, you know, obviously make a big impact in the world. So at the time when I stumbled upon this whole idea, I was I was still doing some of the stuff that I wanted to do more of. So that made it easy because it, it was like a tangible reward and a goal that I it was like, all right, I'm I'm already doing this stuff and I get a lot of value out of creating these applications and things like that. So I just want to have more time to do that and spend less time you're more, and energy wasted on uh, just like job stuff. Yeah. You're more was entrepreneurial is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, I think for me, financial independence was just a way for me to be a wimpy entrepreneur. <laughs> like if I, if I had the guts that some of the other 
normal entrepreneurs do, then, you know, the whole financial independence thing wouldn't have been as big of an issue for me. But it was like I was too big of a wimp to just go ahead and do it on my own. And I was like, well, here, if I if I save up enough money so that I never have to work again, then I can do all these projects and there's like really no risk. Uh, so it's so, yeah, I was um, I'm pretty much just like, yeah, I'm a wimpy <laughs> entrepreneur. I don't know, that dude, you call it wimpy. But, you know, Philip Taylor, uh, PT, who created the whole FinCon community and uh, the FinCon conference, he and I had this discussion and he said, you know, starting a starting a business where you're not beholden to somebody, you don't owe money, you don't have sure, you know, in one way you've got that whole burn your boats thing that you're not doing, but on the other side it's a much safer way to start a business because the downside's so much less if it doesn't work out. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think they go really well hand in hand. Like when I first got on the journey to financial independence, I was like all right, you know, if I cover all my central expenses, you know, like food, housing and all that stuff that I have to spend every month, if I can cover that by my portfolio, then I'd like to cover my discretionary spending by supplemental income. So that was like, that was a way to motivate me to one, pursue some of those ideas while I was still having a job. So, you know, build some maybe like businesses that could produce income. And it was also a way for me to lower my discretionary spending because then I was like, well, if I need to cover all my discretionary spending by this supplemental income from like these entrepreneurial projects, then, you know, I, I, I don't have any money coming in. So I'm going to, I'm going to need to lower that right away. So how did you start? Did you start by setting a date, like a goal, and then the numbers kind of followed from that date or did you start seeing, okay, let's see how fast I can go. And then the date took care of itself. Yeah, the date just took care of itself. Like I, I had number goals and then they changed. So like I said, like the first the first goal was to cover my essential expenses. So okay. once I had enough money to cover those indefinitely, then I was like, well, you know what? My discretionary is not that much more. So I'll just work a little bit more to cover those. Um, and then I kept working uh, because it's once you have the money to not have to work, it's it's weird. It's like your brain's like, well, I don't have to be here. Um so you start to hate it less. <laughs> so then I started to like enjoy my job more. Um, and I also started to like use the power that that money gave me. So I was just like, I just wouldn't do things that I didn't want to do. And um, I pushed back a lot. And it was it was really like an office space scenario. If you've ever seen that movie, like like I actually started getting more respect and like my bosses <laughs> seemed to appreciate me more the more I didn't care. And the more I spoke my mind, so it, it, it ended up getting a lot better like that. And then, um, eventually I was like, okay, you know, my wife and I, we wanted to move back to Scotland cause that, that's where she's from. I was like, all right, I'm moving back to Scotland. And then the first thing out of my boss's mouth was, do you want to stay on remotely? And, uh, our house hadn't sold at that point, And that would have probably stressed me out, you know, going from saving so sure. much to then, to then not saving and withdrawing from account, an account and then having a house that's just sitting in Vermont, uh, when we're in Scotland. So I said, yeah, that, that sounds great. And then I ended up doing that for two years because it removed everything that I hated about the job, which was, you know, commuting and being stuck in the office for, you know, whatever, eight hours a day. And, having to ask if I had to go run an errand and all that sort of stuff. So I ended up just doing that for two years until last August, actually. Wow. You see a lot of people in the community. I'm thinking about that piece of the journey, right? The massive action and finally cutting the cord from the job and even trying to cut the cord and then finally being able to do it. 
But, you know, in the financial independence, retire early community, there's a lot of people who do some awesome talking. But when they get to that pull the trigger spot, they never really do it. Is that a problem of confidence? Is that a problem of they haven't done enough number crunching or they're not serious or they haven't envisioned enough? What do you think the issue is? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's I think it's a bit of confidence. It's a bit of what's next. I think that's the biggest issue that I see is like people think about getting to that goal, me included, like they just have this number in mind and they want to get to that number. And then they don't really think about what's after that. And they don't think hard enough and they don't like visualize what their days are going to look like. Because like back in the day, like when I was first starting out, I was like, yeah, you know, when I reach financial independence, I'm going to cook more and I'm going (laughs) to read more books and all this stuff. And that stuff's great. And I am doing more of that stuff. But that alone is not going to get you out of bed in the morning. Like you're, you're going to wake up and you're going to have all your friends are going to be at work. Uh, your spouse may even be at work and you have a whole day ahead of you. And it's like, yeah, cooking a fancy dinner is going to be fun, but that's not going to like get you out of the bed and excited about the day. So I think a lot of people maybe are not sure what they're going to do next. And that, that holds them back. But also it's just, it's a really, it's a weird thing. Like I didn't expect to freak out as much as I did the first day, like the the first day after my job ended. Um, And I did a little bit because I was like, whoa, this is my whole life's ahead of me. And, you know, that's a big, uh, hopefully a really big amount of time. And it's like I've just stepped off of this normal path that everyone else is on into these like sort of uncharted territories. And it was it was pretty intimidating. So I think I think people get to that stage and they're already happier with life because they don't have to work and they feel like this whole burden has been lifted. And then they're like, well, I might as well just work another year to pad my balances more and just in case, but that's definitely a slippery slope. So yeah, it's, it's a very weird transition Yeah, and I can see why people have, have trouble stepping away. I don't think I would have stepped away if I hadn't uh, sort of been forced to, I was given an ultimatum that I had to come back to the States and work or I had to finish by August. And obviously I chose not to come back to the States. So. <laughs> You're like, all right, August, August is yeah, fine. Yeah, perfect. Fine, fine date for me. And I think you, you hit on a big point there, which is if you haven't done enough planning, it is lonely. I, I saw people step into even normal retirement when I was a financial planner. And if they hadn't done a lot of planning, they'd just plan the numbers, but not what they were going to do with their day. You're right. Everybody else is gone. You're like, what the hell am I going to do now? You said you right. were going to golf, right? You said you were going to work in the garden and you do that alone for three hours and you're already, you know, t- starting to talk to your dog. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, it's definitely something that I plan to write about more and sort of try to help people figure out what that next thing is. Because in a lot of cases, you know, maybe you're better just keep working just until you figure it out. So what were the easiest cuts when you started cutting to get this really, really early financial independence, Brandon? What were the easy places where you were able to make a difference in your life and put more money aside? Oh man, I see. I'm I'm naturally frugal, and any of my <laughs> friends that knew me before even I stumbled upon financial independence, like I'm like the the cheapskate that everybody laughs at and you know <laughs> jokes around with because uh, I've been like this my whole life. Um, I actually went too far into the deprivation zone once I found this. So, like I said, I was already frugal to begin with, and then I found this, and I was like, well, I don't want to spend money on anything, and I cut out pretty much every fun thing in my life. Like at this time, I was um pursuing a master's degree. I I got a job at a university just so I could get a free master's. And uh, I was doing that. And then 
I had all these other projects I was working on. So I was like really busy and I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to focus on all of this and not spend any money because I have all this stuff that I need to do anyway. So, um, and it was actually really bad. Like, um, we were living in the woods of Vermont at the time and my wife's Scottish. So all her friends and family are in this, in Scotland. And here we are in the middle of nowhere in the woods and she's with a husband that doesn't want to do anything. So it actually got really bad. So I went too far in that way. So I cut out pretty much everything. So I would definitely warn people against that. If you're already naturally frugal and you're like really excited about financial independence, um, don't don't deprive yourself because it's it's not worth uh, sacrificing today for some future date. But we saw I talked to a mutual friend a few months ago, Jeremy from uh, Go Curry Cracker. He cut out like all kinds of stuff. Any like super inspirational stories like that where somebody sells everything and uh, you see many of those in the fire community? Yeah, selling stuff definitely happens, uh, you, especially for people who have like already had experienced lifestyle inflation and they're they're like, OK, this is this is craziness. Like uh, Mr. 1500 from 1500days.com. I know they were living in like a like through 3500 square foot lake house or something. And um, I know they sold that downsized to less than 1500 square feet and became much happier because their neighbors were, you know, more like them and less worried about like showing off their money and things like that. But really, I, th- I think most people, it's just, it's just cutting back as much as possible in areas that don't actually bring them a lot of happiness. So like, you know, having one car between two people or having no cars and just biking to work if you can, downsizing from a big house to a small house or an apartment. I know I've, I've talked to some other people on my podcast, like uh, thinksaveretire.com. They just sold everything. They, Him and his wife uh, got married and they had each had house and they just sold both houses and now they're living in an airstream full time and traveling around the states and that that cut their retirement age from like 40 down to 35 so just just as a side can we stop there for a second like like i hear stories like that and that shows how individual this process is because that does not interest me at all (laughs) like if i had to live in an airstream oh my I, i couldn't do it no, I agree. And, th- and that's, you know, that's, I've actually talked to people that have told me like sometimes the dream doesn't match up with reality. So like, uh, I was at one of the camp mustache events that, uh, Mr. Money Mustache readers put on and I was chatting with somebody who had, you know, the dream was to live on a sailboat with their wife. You know, you, you, you think of that and you picture, you know, sitting on the deck with a cocktail and the gentle breeze in your face and just having this lovely life on a boat. And he's like, yeah, you get that some of the times, but you also get, you know, rough seas or even if you're docked and it's rough seas and, you know, the dishes are just banging every three seconds (laughs) (laughs) and you're trying to sleep and you're in this little enclosed thing. And it's like, you know, that, that that's a really good lesson. Like, yeah, you have this dream and you're saving up for a dream similar to that, like an Airstream or something like that, rather than, you know, spend a hundred thousand dollars and buy everything and then realize that you hate it. It's probably a good idea to try some of this stuff out first because yeah, some of it is just probably not what you have pictured in your head. I like that idea. I'm, uh, you know, one of my goals, I love being here in mom's basement in Texarkana because it's beautiful, isn't it? We, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 The light bulbs uh, almost all work. <laughs> but when it comes to Texarkana, the heat and the humidity in the summer is horrible. So this year I'm test driving for three weeks. 
working from Northern Michigan. And you know, when you're a podcaster, you can pretty much work from anywhere. I just got to find that place that has perfect Wi-Fi. And, and I know this year there's going to be a lot of speed bumps where I'm like, oh, should have done this, should have done that different. So that's why I'm doing that that same exact thing. Gonna yeah, absolutely. And we did that. So like I said, I was working remotely when I didn't expect to be working at all. So I had this whole extra sta- salary coming in. So for the first time in my life, I was able to you know let loose with money. I was like, you know what? This is all extra money. Rather than worry about every penny like I always do have, you know, have done for my entire life. I'm just going to relax and see what happens. So we traveled for like a big three month trip. And then we did little trips every month because travel, I thought I wanted to be a permanent traveler, uh, like a digital nomad, sort of just always living somewhere else. We did that. We ate out all the time and stuff like that. And we realized, I realized that, you know, I don't want to travel that much. Like I really like being settled for a good chunk of time so that I can get stuff done on these projects that I'm working on. Eating out lost its joy because we did it so often. It just became normal. And then it was a hassle just to figure out where we wanted to eat and all this stuff. So doing that and like allowing ourselves to try all these things made us realize that, hey, we actually don't want that. So now now, rather than feel like we're depriving ourselves, like, oh, we're not going out to eat as much as maybe our friends are and stuff like that. We're like, no, we're going out to eat perfect amount of time. And if we went out more, we wouldn't enjoy it. So I think, yeah, trying stuff out and figuring out where what gives you the most bang for your buck in terms of happiness is a, is a great idea. I see some of the numbers people fly by in fire communities and they tell me what they're going to live on. And sometimes I think, man, I hope I hope that's enough. Like, like I think it's not right that they haven't really saved enough. Does that really matter? And and are there any metrics that you really can't get wrong? Is there any number crunching you definitely have to do when you're looking for that uh, early financial independence? See, I'm maybe happier with risk than some people, but I didn't feel any sort of stress money wise because it's like it's one thing if you're 80 and retiring. It's a whole other thing if you're 30, 40, even 50, you know, you can still work if you need to. So that that's always like in the back of my mind. So even though you want to have your number needs to, you know, you want it to be foolproof and you, you know, you want it to last forever. It doesn't start to become an issue until you're getting older and you're not going to be able to work or you're not going to be able to reenter the workforce. Like if the market crashed and I had 10% of my portfolio tomorrow, like I could easily get any sort of job just to cover my essential expenses. And that, and that's, I think that's the thing as well. It's like people in this whole fire community have lowered their expenses and optimized them in such a way that, you know, they're probably pretty small. Like that year that I told you about where I said we just went crazy and we traveled three months of the year and went on all these other different trips and ate out all the time. Like we didn't even break 36 K between the two of us. And that was us trying to spend as much as we could. And, that's not to say like our lifestyle is not going to change in the future and we may, you know, spend more, but it just means that we can be happy on a smaller amount of money every year. And that could be easily covered with enjoyable part-time work. And like, like I want to be a ski patrol guy eventually on an, on a mountain and that'll, <laughs> that'll earn income, you know? So it's like, yeah. for me, it was never, I don't think it's as hardcore of a, like you have to make sure you're never going to need another penny again, because even if you're not trying to make money, you're going to bring in some income doing something over your life. So not as wrapped up in the permanence of it is what you're saying. Exactly. I'm going to ask you for a few numbers. I want to get nerdy. Number one, 4% withdrawal rate. Is that a good number? Yeah. Yeah. So I have a article on my site. Yeah. It's like medfantist.com slash safe dash withdrawals dash rate. 
and it goes into a lot of different studies on that. Uh, Michael Kitsis, uh, he's a really respected financial planner and he, yep. he writes a lot of great stuff about yep. retirement planning. He goes through lots of data to, to show that 4% is actually really robust. And yeah, so I would recommend anyone who's sort of wary about that to yeah check that out article out and check out all the articles that I linked to on kitses.com because uh, he, he's done some amazing stuff in that area and it'll make you feel a lot better about that 4% rule. Yeah, he's a smart guy. Second is uh, inflation, 3%. Is that a good number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 3% pretty standard. And, you know, I've, I found that all the people I talk to who have stepped away from their jobs, their, their spending has decreased, uh, after the fact. And that's, uh, certainly the case for us. Like, like I said, we've figured out our happy medium medium and we've optimized everything so much that, you know, I can see in future years for us, we're going to be decreasing our spending if anything. So, you know, inflation, the, the 4% rule takes into account of inflation. So that's the after inflation gotcha, yeah. value. So that, that bakes in normal inflation into that. So, yeah. Third question is, what do you think is the maximum safe rate of return expectation you can build into a model if you're going to be living off of uh, your pile of assets? 7%, 8 Yeah, so I, I usually use 7 and yeah, it's just, it's whatever. Well, obviously, it depends on what you're invested in. If you're heavy on sure. bonds, then your expected return is probably going to be lower. But yeah, so for like anything from, I would say, 70-30 split upwards, then, you know, it's probably, yeah, 7% is probably pretty reasonable. The The big issue with retirement is not the actual average returns, but it's when the dips occur. So if, if you have a big crash rate at the beginning of your retirement, that's going to be a lot worse than if you have a big crash, you know, sure. later on because of uh, it's going to, your portfolio is not going to be able to recover from that as well. So yeah, sequence of returns risk is actually a big a big issue for retirees and especially early retirees. But yeah, 7%, you know, that's a, that's a that's a fair fair number to use in your calculations. And before I let you go, and unfortunately I'm looking at the time and we're not going to have time to talk about these, so we got to have you back, but two big things everybody that brain has done in the mad scientist laboratory is stuffing more money into your Roth. Uh, that's a that's a huge piece on your site. Yeah, actually, actually stuffing as much money as possible into pre-tax accounts. So like traditional right, right. IRA yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, 401k and then rolling it over to the Roth is a, is a great stat- strategy for early retirees. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, you should have said spoiler alert because I was just getting to the <laughs> end and uh, you, you told a little bit about how that works. But but that's number one. And then number two is the Swiss army knife that your HSA is. And we talk about that a lot on the show, but I think the uh, number one place we point to is your piece about uh, really Swiss army knife in that HSA. Nice. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great, yeah. Once I realized that I could tap into uh, those pre-tax accounts early before standard retirement age, then I just tried to figure out every single pre-tax account I could maximize. And yeah, the HSA turned out to be one of the best. Yeah, those are whole shows on their own, guys. So I'm just going to link to those in our show notes at stackybenjamins.com, where if you're interested in the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early, you um, uh, just go there and that'll lead you to more craziness out of Brandon's laboratory. What's next for you, dude? <laughs> yeah, actually, I want to do a lot more software. I think I think there's definitely a, uh, some more software for the mad scientists, especially there's there's some really interesting financial application ideas that I want to I want to try to 
to write. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'm going to be working on hopefully for the rest of the year. Well, thanks for flying across the pond to hang out with us. I appreciate it. Oh man. Yeah, no, my pleasure, Joe. It's, uh, hopefully I'll, uh, I'll be invited back into the basement soon. Hey everyone, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. We all know this great day is about American independence and unless you live outside the USA, which means that it's about celebrating another boring week at the office. Either way, what better way to celebrate than drinking copious amounts of juice? What did you think I was going to say? Burgers, wings, and of course, hot dogs. Let me be frank here. <laughs> Let me be frank here. Oh my God, I'm killing myself. I've been accused in the past of eating more than my fair share of hot dogs at any given event. Apparently, I had about 15 at the last cookout, but that's nothing. Here's today's trivia question. How many hot dogs did Joey Chestnut, a nine-time hot dog eating champion, eat at last year's 2016 Fourth of July competition? I'll be back with your answer right after this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Good news. OG just threw some burgers and dogs on the grill, and they should be done any minute now. So if you're in the area, stop on by. Before the break, I asked you this question. How many hot dogs did nine-time championship winner Joey Chestnut eat at the 2016 4th of July hot dog eating competition? The answer? 70 hot dogs. I did the math on that number. If you buy 70 hot dogs down at the Albertsons in Texarkana, you know what that costs? It costs you your svelte figure. That's what it costs you. Also, means you're going to be popping the tums like they're coming out of a Pez dispenser. All right, from the sound of the hush murmurs upstairs, it sounds like Joe's mom just took the next round of meat off the grill. Time to go claim my championship. See ya! Can you imagine eating that many hot dogs? Oh, I can't do it. You can't eat 69 hot dogs in a <laughs> we, sitting? We had a... We had a... In 10 uh, minutes, more specifically. We had a hot dog eating contest. I remember when I was like nine. I think I made it to like three and a half. Oh, gosh. I don't even like hot dogs that much. I, I do. I love hot dogs. But uh, but I, I, I just can't imagine. And you watch those guys eat that stuff. And, you know, they're wetting it down. Oh, it's just it's disgusting to even watch. But it's a train wreck. So what do you do on the 4th of July? You just focus. You watch it. Of course you do. <laughs> it's 10 minutes of glory. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline. A couple minutes of glory here. Is that Mrs. OG calls making all three of your kids? I don't know why you keep on bringing this stuff up. 10 minutes of glory. That's not bad. Better than average, what I've been told. <laughs> Let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's more important questions. Wow. That got, that got weird in a hurry. 
Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most. I can't even do this without laughing. Your family and your time. They were the first life insurance startup that's also wholly owned by the industry giant Mass Mutual to create a high quality, affordable life insurance policy you can purchase entirely online. Qualified, healthy applicants even skip the medical exam. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote and to learn about life insurance the modern way. And of course, if you're new to the show, you may not know that I think Haven Life's calculator of what the right amount of insurance is best I've seen online. We had better ones when I was a financial planner, but they were proprietary. This one gives you a range. Yeah. Instead of giving you some baloney number, it says, hey, your number is going to be two baloney numbers. Two bal- well, and, and that's half the battle, right? Is that you know that the number's baloney because one number, that minimum number, kind of blows in the wind, and the maximum number is a number that's too much money to spend on insurance. Yeah, right. But we're not going to spend money, but we're going to spend time throwing out the lifeline to Phil. How does that sound? Let's do it. Say hello, Phil. Hey, Joe and OG. Quick question for you guys. I'm getting ready to start looking for a financial planner. As two guys who don't know anything, I'm curious to hear what advice you both have when it comes to vetting different options. What questions should I be asking? What are the red flags to be looking for? Anything else I should know about the process in order to make an informed decision? Love the show. Keep up the good work. Oh, thanks, Phil. Are we the only people who don't get offended when somebody says, two guys that don't know anything and I want to ask your opinion? I hear that every day. <laughs> Great question, Phil. When it comes to interviewing financial professionals to help you, at the end of the day, they got to be somebody that you can stand to hang around with for the next 20 or 30 years. And I think that's really important. One of the things that I always say is, how can we be lovers if we can't be friends? And what I mean by that is, we got to like hanging out with one another if we're going to do financial planning work for the next 30 years together. So so that's a match thing more than anything. It doesn't mean, though, that they should necessarily agree with you, I think. I mean, I totally... No, agreeing and being friends yes. are different. Yeah. And, and you and I are... I mean, we're kind of friends, and I don't agree with about 20% of the stuff that you say. Like, well, thank you. But, but as an example, my coach, I hired my coach specifically. I like her, and I know she has my back. Yeah. But by the same token, she and I agree on very little. But it's great to have that other side of the equation. Absolutely. So the Certified Financial Planner website, letsmakeaplan.org is the website, has a great list of kind of 10 intro questions you should ask your financial advisor as you're interviewing them. And these are kind of self-explanatory ones. What kind of experience do you have? What are your qualifications? Well, wait a minute. Let's talk about what they should, what I'd be looking for with each of those. So so what's the first one? What kind of experience? What kind of experience? I want them to have experience working with people that are like me. How long? I mean, that's, that's what I'm most worried about is, is I'm not worried that they're working with, you know, football players or like we were talking about earlier. I don't know why I got football players yeah. in the mind, but I want them to be people that are doing similar things to what I'm doing. Seen similar circumstances that it. you're going to present. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And, and maybe a little aspirational people that are a little further ahead than I am, you know, yeah. because if, show you the path. If I help a bunch of mediocre people get more mediocre, I don't, I don't know. I want that person. Yeah. Um, experience. This is funny. When I was a brand new advisor, I read something Susie Orman said, and she she was saying that your advisor should have at least five years experience. And I went, oh, that's a bunch of baloney. And then I got past five years experience, and I realized that my five years, I'd made so many mistakes, mm-hmm. and not mistakes that were critical, but we could have gotten there quicker after I'd 
been a little tested by situations that clients have been in. So then I thought, yeah. Here's an interesting food for thought on the experience piece. There are people right now that, or pretty soon, going to have 10 years of experience that have not experienced a bear market. And those are the times that you want. They, I mean, seriously, times. 10 years ago, yeah. it was was the recession. Yeah. And you've got people that have never led clients through that that have 10 years of experience. That's a little freaky. 2000 to 2002, worst part of my career. But I'll tell you what, the years after that, I was such a better advisor. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Uh, second one is qualifications. Well, qualifications, I think the certified financial planner is uh, something I'd look for. Even though there were some people that were certified financial planners, I thought that were complete tools. And there were people that weren't that I thought were fantastic advisors. But it's a check mark. Yeah, none I, of these are must-have. It's just building the resume. Right. Right, building the position. What financial planning services do you offer? I um, want... I want to make sure that the person starts with a plan, almost like Greg Powell a couple of weeks ago has this whole financial house out of eight questions that he deals with with clients. Question five is about money. I want that. That's what I want. Yep. I want somebody who's into my life and then money is a fuel, not somebody who's a market prognosticator. There you go. Yeah. That's a big word. That's a monster word. Numbers four and five are something you've already talked about. What's your approach to financial planning? You said building a house or right. you know having an approach. Uh, what types of clients do you work with? That can also, by the way, be in writing. A lot of people have something called an IPS, an investment policy statement. Mm -hmm. uh, if they have an IPS, I think that's even better. So I know ahead of time going in, these are the parameters my advisor is using. I'm not going to get a call saying, hey, uh, let's bet on red today. You right. know, there's going to be a policy. We're going to stick to that policy. I want that. Okay. Uh, will you be the only planner working with me? You know, I'm, I'm a little ambivalent about that. I think that even though some people really get into the relationship, mm -hmm. if somebody has a team of people that can help them with the small stuff and that makes my plane work better, you know, my financial plan work better. I really like that. I used to think that the one-on-one -on -one personalized relationship was a better thing. Now I think a financial planner with a team and a system yeah, system's really important. Yeah. System's yeah. really important. Uh, number seven is how do I pay for your services? Mm-hmm. And then how much do you typically charge? That's kind of yeah. two sides of the same coin there. Number nine is uh, do others stand to gain from the financial advice that you give me? In other words, is it, uh, commissions? Yeah. Is there anybody else that's going to get a kickback based on this? Now, a lot of this is kind of going to be modified as more and more implementation of the Department of Labor fiduciary rule gets sure. gets uh, put into play, but uh, but still worthwhile question because frankly, there's a lot of people who call themselves financial planners who are commission you know insurance sales guys. Nothing wrong with commissions. Nothing wrong with selling insurance. Perfectly fine. Just disclose it, right? And the last one is you're gonna love this one. Have you ever been publicly disciplined for any unlawful or unethical? actions you know, in and, your career. And I was going to bring that up. You can uh, look that up yourself. We've built a link directly on our website, mm -hmm. stackingbenjamins.com forward slash broker check. Yep. That will take you to the FINRA broker check uh, site. You put in the advisor's name, it'll bring up anything. And, and by the way, it doesn't bring up just discipline. It brings up complaints. So if you look up me, I don't even know if I'm in there anymore, uh, but, but when I was working, if you brought up me, I had a client that had an annuity that stunk with an advisor with the same company that I was with. I told them, I told the client that this annuity was horrible and that we needed to do something. And I actually was working with him and the company to get stuff done. It didn't go as quickly as the client wanted. So he reported the company, the old advisor, and me 
when I'm the one that brought it up. And you know what's funny? It was on my broker check record. It's yeah. on, which is which is cool because it's two, a blessing and a curse. Well, there were two things that happened there. I only from that point on, I had maybe it was maybe four more years before I sold my business. Mm-hmm. During the next four years. I think I had one person bring it up. And that taught me a lot that people aren't doing the due diligence we're talking about right right now. And the question that Phil had, nobody's asking these questions. I mean, nobody ever asked me any of these questions. So when they brought it up, that created a discussion about that. And I actually had a good answer, Mm -hmm. you know? So then, you know, the, the one person that asked that went, Oh, okay. Well, it sounds like you were in their corner. Yes. I, I two sides to that. So you've got FINRA, which is uh, the regulator, for brokers. So that's broker check. You also want to look on the SEC website. So sec.gov and you can click on research investment advisors there. And, and you just want to double check both of them, but having a mark doesn't mean that it's bad because you can explain yours away. Not having one is, is great. Obviously having multiple ones, or if you see like kind of a pattern where there's four or five and it's unsuitable sales practices, unsuitable sales practices, unsuitable sales, even if they're all, you know, found not guilty, so to speak, isn't that kind of, am I Oh yeah, no. Like that just kind of like Don't it get, smells or like hey, a rat. If I had had five of those on my record. Yeah. It's hard to explain. And I'm those. singing and dancing around those. I'm getting hosed by the company. The company's after me. The oh, company's told, after yeah. me. The company's yeah. after me. Yeah. Okay. So, so one or, you know, one or whatever, not the end of the world, but, um, but, but, uh, brings up a great conversation. Yeah. Awesome. So this is all on let's make a plan.org. 10 questions you can uh, use to interview uh, financial plan. And remember that broker check, uh, uh website, uh, Phil, uh, it just goes stackybenjamins.com forward slash broker check, yep. put it together all as one word and you're good to go there. Thanks for that. If you've got a question for the Haven lifeline, you'd like us to throw out the lifeline to you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Got a couple letters I want to get to that. Uh, these aren't questions. OG. So you're off the hook because we know that you had a long week off and it's a holiday weekend. Still so recovering. Yeah. We can't tax your brain too much, but our friend, uh, Jack, she says, what's up, Joe and OG? You mentioned what people are doing while listening. I throw your podcast on or Paula Pants podcast while cooking dinner. Tonight was Blue Apron Chicken Tikka Masala with rice and squash. You had Claudia on today. This is obviously from a little while ago. And I'm targeting a small house in the future. She and Garrett are an inspiration. Keep rocking. And that's, of course, our interview with Claudia from Two Cup House blog about how she downsized her life living in now a, what, a 600 square foot house. Just amazing what people do. I'm not myself a super small house guy, but what was interesting to me, OG, about that was people consciously living and thinking to themselves, how much do I actually need that, right? We talked about packaging during the, during the headlines. Packaging's fine on the stuff that's important to you. And what I like about what Claudia did was said, uh, is this important to me? No, mm-hmm. big house isn't important. So let's get a smaller house. Next uh, notice from uh, Keisha. She says, Joe, I'm a little bit behind in listening to your show. Wanted to clear up Kristen's question. I hope you can email her back. Kristen had a question about using her TSP. Keisha's a government employee has been for the last eight years. She said she thinks that Kristen's a little confused about how the match works between the TSP and the Roth TSP. The government doesn't match one or the other. They just match up to 5%. So Keisha thinks that Kristen was asking a different question than, than we answered. Kristen was asking about the match and getting the match. Keisha says that in the, in the thrift savings plan, let's say Kristen puts 3% in the Roth TSP and 2% in the TSP. 
in the pre-tax TSP, the government's going to match a total of 5%, and the total match goes into the pre-tax TSP. That's always the case. Yeah, because a company can't put your match into the Roth. Correct. Keisha says, I think that's Kristen's confusion, thinking she's not getting matched on what she puts in the Roth. But she is. It's just going to a different place. So if you have the Roth 401k, relatively new thing, uh, three, three years old, maybe four years old. Roth 401k. Yeah. No, dude, that was around when I was, when I was, Microsoft had it in, um, L- let me rephrase. Yeah. More prevalent in the last three or four years. Yeah. More companies are starting to get it. Um, that's what I meant. All of the company match is going to go on the pre-tax side. Yeah. Always. Yep. Good stuff. Thanks for those letters, uh, Jack and Keisha. That's going to do it for today, man. If you've got a letter for us, stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail is the way for us to throw out the lifeline to you, the Haven lifeline. And if you insist on writing us a note, it's Joe at Stacking Benjamins or go to the website and it says question for the show. You'll see the Haven lifeline right there. And you'll also see a place where you can write us a letter. People have been nice enough to leave us reviews. Thanks to everybody who's done that. We're up to 352 reviews, OG. How about that? Just one short of 353. So I know. who's it going to be? If we could get that 353rd, our, our life would be so much Almost better. Almost complete. Yes. This review comes to us from Brooke. It's going on Mom's Refrigerator. Listen to this one. Joe, host of Stacky Benjamins, highlights all aspects of finance in this can't-miss podcast. I like how she, Brooke just... Can't miss. Yeah, I love how she discounts you. I think that's great because we really should just focus on me. The host and expert guest offer insightful advice and information helpful to everyone that listens. You're a minosaur. Mine. Mine. Minosaur. Well, I mean... So we tell our kids, stop being a minosaur. I don't know where to go with that. There's nowhere to go. There is nowhere to go. Uh, but thanks, and uh, Brooke, and that's going on Mom's Fridge. Very concise, easy, and focuses on me. About like 50% accurate. The, th- the, the three things that are important there. Coming up on Wednesday, get this. You know that awesome new movie, The House, came out last week while we were on break? Yes, Will Ferrell, Amy Poehler. Guess who we've got? You'll have to wait to see to find out. Tune in Wednesday. Director and co-writer Andrew J. Cohen coming down nice. to the basement going to talk to us about making the house. Actually, what I want to talk to him about is, you know, this whole idea of blowing your kid's college fund. Is yep. that uh, autobiographical? Like where, where do you, where do you <laughs> How do you come up with this idea? Yes. Yes. A friend of mine has this great story. You know, they say fiction, you know, as a basis in reality. Yeah, sure does. The, does this start there for Andrew? So I we're think this is probably like what Will Ferrell did. Andrew J. Cohen here on uh, Wednesday. We'll talk to him about working with Will Ferrell. What's that? I bet what he's a diva. Like. Yeah, we'll see. Have a fantastic 4th of July tomorrow if you're in the United States. and if It's you're, also the 4th of July everywhere tomorrow. Yeah, if you're, so have a great 4th of July No matter where anywhere. you are. See everybody back here on Wednesday, Stacking Benjamins. Bye-bye. So what did we learn today? First, buying some wine? Maybe that awesome label shouldn't be the first thing you read. Start with the price tag first and read a couple of reviews instead of the flowery prose on the label. Second, thinking about financial independence? Take the mad scientist's advice and start planning what you want to do differently with your life, starting right now. A few small changes today can make all the difference down the road. But the big lesson? Never let Joe's mom work the hot dog grill if you haven't washed the windows yet. She'll hold it against you. Give you all the burned dogs. A big thanks to the mad scientist for stopping by the basement. He fit right in. For more from the Mad Scientist, you'll want to visit madfiantist.com or 
follow our link through our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. We hope everyone has a great time celebrating the 4th of July, but don't forget to be responsible. Use fireworks safely, kids. I thought I had heard that in England, they call 4th of July something else. Like, you know, we, we obviously call it Independence Day. Yeah. But don't they call it like... Day those bastards left? No, it's like... Uh, Good riddance day? Nope. It was like... Kick them to the curb? No, because they didn't do any of that. They didn't want us to leave. It was like... Uh, it's like uh, the infidel day or something like oh, that. Really? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, I have to have one of our UK listeners tell yeah, us. Yeah, I thought I thought that I remember. I mean, it's not a holiday, but right. they, you know, they got all those stupid Americans, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Damn red coats. I can't believe we talked about uh, the football player missing some of his fingers. I, <laughs> and then I'm fixing to go just blow a whole bunch of stuff up. That'll be on my mind. I don't. I don't get it. I, uh, the fireworks thing is lost on me. Seriously. Yeah. I. You know this fireworks thing. I live on just off of State Line Road between uh, Arkansas and Texas here, and uh, on the other side of State Line Road, on the Arkansas side, there's all kinds of fireworks places. There's one half a mile from uh, maybe mile and a half from sure. my house. But I, I go in there and I'm like, I, I don't get it. We go over to this friends of ours house. My buddy Rick. We go to his house and Rick has this great fireworks show that he and his son ryan put on and it's amazing and then i hear what they spend on that i mean they're blowing up a ton of money in about 20 minutes it's very expensive it's incredibly i I just i don't get it like i'm appreciative i'm like oh man that's cool i'm going home and his pocketbook is a ton lighter so we are recording this just a skosh before the holiday yeah and i'm going to my old hometown which has i think the greatest fireworks show. My kids haven't seen it yet, or they have, but they don't remember it. And so we rented this hotel room that's like right on the water. 
right where they do the uh, fireworks at. So it's going to be kind of fun to see. I, I, I'm like you. I'm appreciative of it. The last time I spent uh, any money, and I can't even quantify how much it was, but at the time it probably was a lot. You know, like you know, like two hundred bucks or something. Yeah. Where you go, that's yeah, yeah. just a lot of stuff. So we're at my wife's grandfather's cottage up in the Midwest, and he's a little bit of a prankster. So my brother-in-law and I have this massive plan to launch all these fireworks out into the lake, sure. right? And so we get everything set up. We've got bottle rockets and exploding things and, you know, things that ooh and ah. And we've got, you know, these big pipes that we just stuffed in the ground so we can launch these bottle rockets out of so we can, like, literally drop them in, like, a mortar tube, you know. So we're tolerably safe, right? But the state has a rule against fireworks that go in the air. And it's a fix-a-ticket, right? You get to find 100 bucks or 500 bucks or whatever it is. But you don't want to get a ticket, right? So we got all this stuff. We got all set up. We're... You know, it's it's dusk. It's ten o'clock at night. Big bag of fireworks, box of fireworks. Get them all. We're lighting them up. How far did you get? Oh, so so my wife's grandfather has a police light in his in in the garage, like a beacon. Yep, like one of the blue lights that spins around. He goes in the garage, puts it on top of a car, plugs it in, and then walks around. You know, and so we're lighting all these fireworks. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, like, I turn around. I'm like, huh. The cops. <laughs> and so so I take this big bag. I go, hey, Tom, hold this. It's <laughs> my brother-in-law. Throw him immediately <laughs> under the bus. Immediately under the bus. I'm like, yep, I'm not going to prison. I won't make it. Tom, you're tougher than me. <laughs> take one for the team. Jump on the grenade. And, and every, of course, everybody's in on it, right? And, yeah. and we're running around like crazy, like what are we, trying to figure out, should we? Throw them in the water. It reminds me of the joke, right? Where the you know game warden comes down. There's a man sitting there fishing. He's got 300 fish that he's caught out of the out of the out of the river, you know. And the game warden says, "It's quite a number of fish there. I need to see your license." And he says, "Oh, I I don't have a license." And he says, well, "Yeah, I gotta find you for all these fish." He says, "No, no, I didn't catch these. These are my pet fish." And he says, "What? What are you talking about?" He says, "No, every night at five o'clock, I come down here and I whistle." And all my fish jump up on shore, and then and then I put them back, and 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 then we do it again the next day. He says, "Get out of here." He he says, "Watch, I'll show you." He goes, "Give me a hand. Put put all these back in there, and I'll do it." So he puts all the fish back in the lake, in the in the river. And the guy standing there, and the game warden says, "Well," he says, "Well, what?" He says, "Where are all your fish?" And he says, "What fish? What fish?" <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we used so, to do we used to do dumb things with. Uh, oh gosh, I have so many dumb stories of the dumbest one, near death experiences with with dumbest fires. one we did. We had bottle rockets and uh, bottle rocket tag. And my almost yeah my my uh, like brother my brother and his friend would be on one end of a pasture which which you know it's in July so the weeds have grown up pretty high yeah and uh, no fire danger there we're, we're, no not at all <laughs> yeah yeah it hasn't rained in 3 it hasn't weeks hasn't rained in 3 weeks there's no fire danger my parents had a had a bathroom project in the basement uh, actually the the bathroom right over here and uh so so i we had this copper pipe yeah uh both of us uh, all four of us had a little piece of copper pipe yeah mortar tube a rocket launcher as it were oh it was great we we had a little big lighter each yep. of us a bunch of bottle rockets and me and my buddy get down at one end of the pasture mm-hmm. my brother and his buddy down at the other end and you're on all fours right oh yeah and, and you're staying low you stay low and i'd look up and i would see my brother 
over, I'd see his head poke out and I would take the bottle rocket, light it, stick it in the end of the tube, put the tube up, aim it straight at him and fire that thing at him. There is no excitement, by the way, of lifting your head up and there's a bottle rocket coming right at your face. It's the dumbest. Like, like why? Who would even think of that? Yeah. I mean, except, you know, yeah. a 15 year old. When I was a uh, paper boy way back when. We had this brilliant idea of putting firecrackers in the newspapers as we would throw them on the porch. So it's, you know, oh, dark 30 on a Saturday morning. We're delivering newspapers. And every newspaper we'd walk by, we'd drop a firecracker in there and throw it on the porch. Bang! Oh, oh. We'll go to the next house. Oh. That was quite a customer service specialist oh. back in the day. Oh, that's horrible. So we're doing this. Boop, boop, boop. We get to the last house on the street, which is the parish where uh, Father, what's his name, lived. It's six o'clock. Of course, he's fixing to get up for mass, I imagine. I throw throw the paper, and he as he's opening the door. Oh, no. The paper's in the air, and I'm like, oh, boy. And it lands, and he sees it, right? So it's not like a mystery that this thing's going to explode in his yes. face. Bang! He just looks down and goes, could I have a new newspaper, please? Very calmly. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, he's That's like a guy's seen everything. 70 year old, you know, father. That's we used ugly. to take Roman candles and, you know, Roman candles, you shoot them straight up in the air. Sure. No. They work much more effectively if you point yeah. horizontally on the ground. Oh, that's so stupid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's our same bottle rocket thing. Roman candle tag. Don't do any of this stuff, kids. Yes. Learn from our mistakes. Don't do any of that. We're lucky we're alive. You're lucky you have a podcast. Yes. Because the podcast All could those. start with, I'm one eyed Joe. <laughs> I know. This is my buddy, the the other maimed guy. Peg leg. Right. Peg leg OG. Stackers, thanks for hanging out with us today. We've got four more days of fun coming your way. But since you're still here, here's another reason to check out Navy Federal Credit Union. Navy Federal's cash rewards card helps you slay the season. You can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases when you sign up for a direct deposit. What a great way to get through the end of this year and to begin next year rewarding yourself. You can redeem points as soon as you earn them. Learn more at NavyFederal.org, insured by NCUA. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine... You can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.